welcome to this week's episode of Not D&D, which is of course is brought to you by EN Worldlife. Uh, I'm your host Jessica and joining me this week we have the team that made the Magus. We have Kiara and Mamato's here to join us. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Hi, thank you for having us. Of course. Well, um, I'm so excited to have you on to talk about the game. For those not in the know, The Magus is currently on Kickstarter and it has about three days left. So I'll put the link uh, in the chat now if you're watching live and if you're listening to the podcast in the show notes. So three days to get involved. So it's very quick from when we're recording this. Um, but I'm delighted to see it's been doing so well. Is it over like four, 400% funded now or, or where are you at? Yeah, that's something like that. It's been really, really overwhelming. I mean, uh, there's been a lot of support. Uh, we hoped this much, but we didn't expect this much, I think. Nice. It's always good to know. Well, um, before we dive into it, shall I let you uh, kind of introduce yourselves and, and, and how you're involved with the project? Um, so, uh, Kiara, shall we start with you? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, hello, my name is Chiara. I am the translator of Nessundove, which is an Italian RPG design and localization lab. So we both translate and publish games from people from around the world and mm -hmm. also write our own. We started out with a LARP, actually. We mm -hmm. started with Crescendo Giocoso, which is an anthology series of LARP scenarios. And from mm -hmm. that, we've been uh, branching out and uh, trying to, you know, uh, find games that uh, propose new ways of playing. Mm -hmm. uh, like very different, unique experiences. And uh, that's kind of how we met with Bianca because we sewed Magus and Dark and they both had uh, uh, such great ideas that we mm -hmm. couldn't have but get in touch, basically. <laughs> well, Bianca, that's a yeah. great introduction for you to introduce yourself then. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I think I am a returning guest, so yeah. thank you for having me. Um, I'm Amedos. I'm a Manila-based game designer and visual artist. My most popular game, you might know me for ARK, uh, mm -hmm. which is a doomslaying RPG where you slay the apocalypse. <laughs> yes, I'm beautiful. And, like are there. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, I've designed many different games. Some of them deal with some topics such as uh, loss, uh, ambition, and this game, The Magus, is one of my proudest creations. It's basically oh, wow. a game about pathos, arcana, and calamity, and it is something that's dear to my heart. Wonderful. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you about the game. Um, if people are interested in listening, hearing about ARC as well, we do have a previous episode um, with Mamatos on as well, so you can go back and listen to that after this one. Um, but yeah, so so give me so you gave me a little bit of an overview there as well. But what is what is the the Magus? If we if if people haven't heard of it and are coming to it for the first time, how would you describe it to them? It's a solo RPG where you take on the shoes of a wizard, grappling with the high cost of their ambition. They're basically on a quest to obtain ultimate arcana, ultimate power, but along the way they'll meet fantastic creatures, have strange encounters, and be forced to ask the question, how far are they willing to go to get that power? Are they willing to sacrifice those that they love? It's a solo RPG that is relatively crunchy for a journaling game. It mm -hmm. uses all of the polyhedral dice and has you juggling several aspects of your character, um, several statistics that you keep track of 
in order to see if you could overcome challenges and also Mm -hmm. what you'll encounter along the way. Fantastic. And Kiara, you said you are always looking for new projects that are kind of different or, you know, mm-hmm. something. And what what is it that appealed to you about, about this game and this storytelling? Okay, so uh, I mentioned we started off with LARP. We're very mm-hmm. interactive people. And I say we because uh, Nesundo is actually three people. Me, mm-hmm. Oscar, which is the founder, and uh, mm-hmm. Maria, who is our graphic artist and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the three of us design games together and we are very interactive, as I said. So we've never looked into solo games because a lot of them just felt like they were prompts for creating writing without much of a mechanic behind them. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I think I was trolling through itch.io uh, during the lockdown. I believe this was in uh, 2021 when it came out, right, Bianca? Uh, I think so, yeah. at least. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I mean, uh, the first thing that caught my eye was the art. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, people on video can see this is the Italian edition of the mm-hmm. original The Magus, uh, mm-hmm. the 2021 edition. And uh, it's really stunning how it uses, uh, uh, you know, public domain art, uh, art from, uh, you know, art history, uh, the Rix mm-hmm. Museum collection, I think, but uh, worked uh, uh, worked on in a way that uh, makes it new and strange and weird. So it really caught my eye as, uh, you know, a, a, a graphic product first, but then I read the mechanics and actually uh, this is a very crunchy game mm-hmm. when you get right down to it, but it's still very creative. So it was like a, a nice mix, a different one in, uh, in my experience at least. So mm-hmm. yeah. It was actually uh, first designed in the PowerPoint. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Mometus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, <laughs> yeah. adapting it to be a physical book was quite a challenge. Uh, yeah. It's a very panoramic format, as uh, people on video can see. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we, I'm really proud of the work we, made, we did on this one uh, to adapt it to the print. And uh, yeah, it was just a, such a fun project to work on. Amazing. Yeah, when I gave them the PowerPoint file, I was thinking, oh, this is easy. At least it's not a complicated file. But then I realized uh, later on that there were no layers. They have to click send to back, send backward with every image and with every text box. And some text box were on top of each other, so you couldn't easily edit the text. So I am very sorry for, for the mess that the file was. <laughs> <laughs> it was a game within the game to translate it, basically. <laughs> yeah, no, but sorry. No, I was saying amazing. It sounds like you got there, though, because it, it looks beautiful. The art and the layout looks stunning. And so, you know, looking forward to get a physical print edition. Um, <laughs> but one thing I was I was going to dig into it, because like you mentioned, you say this is kind of more of a crunchy game. And I think when people hear about solo role-playing, they think, again, something very light and very simple so I'd love it if we could talk through um the kind of the structure of the game and in the quick starter guide that you have on the page I noticed there's this really nice flow of play um diagram uh so I I don't know if you could just walk us through kind of the flow of play and 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 how the game runs sure so basically the Magus journey is broken up into events Uh, (laughs) events have challenges with them so they are obstacle obstacles that the Magus encounters and they have to succeed at them or else risk a perilous uh, outcome. 
And during each event, they test the power of the Magus. So you gain more power, the more um, more challenges you succeed at, the more you become excellent at the challenges. And basically, the more power you have, the more dice you get, the more likely you are succeeds. It's kind of feeding back into the loop. But along the way, you have to manage things like your focus. Uh, you gain more focus uh, if you succeed really well on the challenges and you spend the fo- that focus to gain more power. Uh, mm-hmm. And also you need to control your scars, which is the evocative little tags that your magus gets. It could be things like scars, having a tertiary limb, being chased by a cult. So you juggle okay. these aspects as you go through the events and you roll dice to encounter progressively more difficult problems in the event. So it tends to ramp up. And you end the game when there are seven events that you completed. So it's a very finite game. Or when a calamity is triggered. So a calamity is triggered when you roll a one on a risk die that happens the moment you start losing some of the challenges. Or when you deplete control, which is how your magus um, thinks of their wholeness of self. If it's mm-hmm. depleted, then they become broken and no longer able to continue on their journey. Or you can also end it when you decide that the time is right and it's time to retire. So I did a very poor job explaining it, but in essence, <laughs> it is managing uh, several aspects of the Magus um, personality, which informs their dice, which informs how mm-hmm. well they do in challenges, which are part of events along their journey. Amazing. I think, yeah. Um, is there a reason why you chose uh, seven events specifically? Uh, is it because of the time frame or is seven like a meaningful number? Or There's always something very captivating about the number seven. It's thought mm-hmm. up as a very lucky number. It is a very pleasing odd number that isn't too high, isn't too low, and it's single yeah. digit. And uh, I think it also made sense because uh, when I did some playtests on my own, um, it felt like it made the right amount because there was a sense of uh, increasing stakes, but it didn't overstay its welcome. And mm-hmm. it also checked out with the math because you progress through events by rolling uh, a D6 minus a D4. And it eventually worked out so that it managed to slot into the total number of events. And seven was basically the number I chose because of those reasons. Fantastic. Um, so some people have uh, that I've, I've played solo tabletop RPGs before. Maybe they're a bit new to it. Some people have heard of Thousand Year Old Vampire. Um, and uh, so someone in the chat was asking, are you are you familiar with that game? And do you think if people like Thousand Year Old Vampire, will they also enjoy this game? Oh, absolutely. It was one of the biggest inspirations I had for this game. Oh, when I got the thousand year old vampire when I played it, it really struck a chord with me. I thought, oh, I this kind of uh, anguish and sadness, these are the kind of things that I would like to explore in my own game and place it in a different setting and add some different mechanics to create a new experience out of it. So I think if you enjoyed thousand year old vampire, you'd also enjoy the magas. It explores a lot mm-hmm. of the emotional beats that the former game had. And uh, also, 
I think we should mention that uh, uh, we actually contacted Tim Hutchings, the author of Thousand Year Old Empire, to write the introduction mm -hmm. for this new edition of the Magus because oh, of this uh, link. You know, we wanted to honor that connection. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think the yeah. full answer to your question uh, is yes, absolutely, <laughs> to that person's question there. Um, so talking a little bit about um, about the game. So one thing I noticed when you're developing your your majors, how does that character creation work? Where, where do you start with creating your character? Mm -hmm. So the Magus basically starts you off with a lot of freedom on how your character uh, is built. It has random tables, but you are free to ignore those random tables and create mm -hmm. your own reality. Um, those random tables basically help you imagine what the nature of magic is in your world. Is it something that is forbidden? Is it something that is studied in formal academic circles? And it also has random tables for how your character discovered magic. Did the sorceress mm -hmm. give it to you one day? Did you study it in secret under your, the libraries of your father? So these give you seeds that help you, that help inform you, okay, let's blend these ideas together from the different random tables and let's think of a story that connects all of these dots. And usually it leads to an emergent story that provides a strong foundation for the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And one thing I noticed um, about in the game is the role of um, kind of power. And there's this theme throughout the game that as the game gets on, you're closer to the calamity, you're kind of losing power. Uh, could you talk a little bit about how mechanically that works with, with the dice and your power levels and, and things like that? Mm -hmm. So you gain more power by um, increasing your focus and uh, you gain more focus if you succeed exceptionally well in challenges and your dice becomes progressively better with the more power you have. So I think at the start, it is a D6, D8 and D10. So mm -hmm. when you roll it, you have to compare it with the uh, challenge level of the event. So let's say the event has a challenge of seven. So you have to roll higher than seven with your D6, D8, and D10. So the more power you have, the better their dice is. So eventually you'll have um, D10, D10, and D12, which I think is the highest power level. So it's easier to overcome challenges, but some of the challenges also scale up the further you go along your journey. Some of them may have a challenge of 10 or possibly even, um, yeah, of 10, I think is the highest. And that means you'll need as much power as you can in order to gain or overcome that challenge. And if you start losing the challenges, you'll lose control. And the more control you lose, the more likely it is for a calamity to occur, which is the absolute worst outcome you could get. It means a great disaster, war, famine, something irrevocable that has worsened the world thanks to your actions. Wow. Um, I imagine because of the nature of the game, there's so many different kind of endings. Like, um, Kiara, what sort of calamities and endings have some of your characters had when, you, when you've played the game? Oh, okay. Well, um... that's not too personal to share, actually, because actually I know solo <laughs> games can be quite... I just caught myself there. Yeah, uh, I just... I have a problem with solo game, which is I start a lot 
And then I stop oh, yeah. before the end repeatedly. <laughs> say I have a lot of characters, which I have started, and they are oh, yeah. there waiting for an ending, and I never give them one. So if you'd like that, uh, their calamity is being <laughs> stuck in time somehow. <laughs> but no, actually, there was one which I really liked. Uh, uh, this was a game set in the desert, basically. And mm -hmm. by the end of the game, basically, uh, the idea was that the desert was where the magic had drained out of the world. So the, the final calamity was draining all the magic out of the world. So the whole mm -hmm. world certified, more or less. That was kind of the extent of it. <laughs> that does feel like an extreme calamity in that world, though. That that, that would create some kind of problems. And uh, yeah. like you mentioned, I like how... You have prompts in, so people can have inspiration from it. But of course, if you have an idea, you, you are completely free yeah. to run with your own kind of idea. Um, yeah, basically. One thing I noticed as well is, um, so in the game, it's obviously there's going to be quite stressful themes and there's going to be decisions you make and um, difficult choices. And one of those I really noticed was in the bonds that you pick up. Mm -hmm. um, because that to me just read like, oh no, we could make this very terrible. Um, could you share how spells and bonds work uh, in the game and how they're picked up throughout events? Mm. So some of the events can give you spells, but there are also some events that can give you bonds. So basically these are encounters with new creatures you meet along the way or a way for you to strengthen existing bonds. So some of the bonds you could meet are school teachers, princesses, queens, but there's also one that a lot of people love, which is a traveling frog. Oh, and yeah. they accompany you <laughs> along the way. And they basically give you support or they mm -hmm. anchor your magus or they are somebody that eventually becomes near and dear to their heart. But the kicker is that the easiest way to gain power in this game is to sacrifice a bond. So that means that um, something very bad happens to them as a result of your actions. But in return, you do gain more power and can succeed more challenges. Not, not the little frog. Does anyone give up the little frog? How? <laughs> <laughs> one of the reviews that we used to like put together the Kickstarter campaign is a guy that just went a guy a, a person I don't know their gender they just went yeah befriended a talking frog with depression and then let it die in a fireball 10 out of 10 so yeah that was beautiful. there's there's a review for a game there's a review for a game if I ever heard one yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I, yeah, I love the idea of like you say spells and bonds, and you're gaining kind of your your power and control and that theme and, and that struggle with it. Um, mm -mm. You also have these nice pauses in the game um, where you have reflection as well, uh, and they're scattered throughout. In it's not after every event; it's after a few select ones, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and what was the reason for why why they're placed there? Is it just like just kind of pacing and, and things for check-ins for people or how do, how is mm. best to use reflections? So I, I think of the mag is essentially being a bit of an emotional journey and I thought that the best way to really soak in the events to really introspect along the way would be have opportunities for reflection. Uh, it's also a way to break up the pace so that you don't go too fast and you have time to really soak in all of the details and the cost of everything you've done to get where you are right now. There we go. I like that. And, you know, thinking about the game, how long does it, 
I mean, I know obviously everybody's game is going to be different. Some people start games and, and never finish them, you know. <laughs> but like, roughly, how long does <laughs> it take to play uh, to play a game of 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 the majors? Uh, I think if you play it straight through and um, don't really uh, elaborate all of the details, maybe around mm. three hours. But we've also had heard of games <laughs> that have stretched over several days, especially as they become more excited to really write about their journey. So I think yeah. it ultimately depends on the person. Fabulous. And um, a lot of people that are coming to um, to role-playing games, uh, some people have just played D&D and then they're venturing out and trying new things. And for some people, uh, solo role-playing games is a really kind of new concept. Um, mm. So what advice, um, maybe I'll start with you, Kiara, first. So what advice would you give somebody who's trying a solo game for the first time and they're used to playing, you know, with other people normally? Okay, uh, this is kind of uh, a don't do what I do because this is part of okay. the problem <laughs> I have with solo games, which uh -huh. is that I get so caught up in trying to write uh, a you know a good story that I kind of freeze myself. Uh, you know, uh, I think no, this uh -huh. idea isn't good enough, and I kind of stop. Mm -hmm. And Vegas is actually pretty good on that front because it gives you very you know very punctual prompts, so mm -hmm. uh, they're to the point. They're talk about this event in specific, describe this spell or these meetings. So mm -hmm. it helps a lot to just focus on, uh, you know, the prompt at hand and not think about the, the wider story, just focus on what it makes you feel. And just, you know, if you need to just jot down a couple of notes and then go, move on to the next event, that's very good. I mean, uh, this is not a, a creative exercise. Uh, I, I mean, it's not a creative exercise. Like, you're not trying actively to improve your writing. You're just there to experience a, a journey, as we said. So, yeah, focus on that. I think yeah. that's uh, the interesting thing. And, yeah. yeah, I think visual prompts can help a lot as well. Mm -hmm. uh, that was actually one of the things I did with the Desert Playthrough. I just... Uh, uh, Google images that would fit the mm -hmm. the prompt pitch time and like the first result uh, I took in and uh, used it uh, to mm -hmm. write, you know, to give me ideas. And that's part of the reason we are also uh, pairing the, the Magus with the Oracle, I think. Mm -hmm. The Oracle <laughs> deck. Yeah, we haven't even yeah. talked about the Oracle deck. What, what, yeah. what is that? <laughs> Bianca, want to explain? <laughs> oh, go ahead. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, the Oracle is a an inspiration deck, which is what we dub it. Uh, so 78 uh, third sides cards illustrated by Momatus and uh, mm -hmm. with uh, both word prompts on one side and uh, art prompts on the other. So uh, the word prompts uh, are what will uh, uh, be in place of the random tables, which you can currently find uh, on uh, the Kickstarter edition of uh, the Vegas on the mm -hmm. Kickstarter page. And uh, these are the updates uh, uh, with respect to the original uh, edition of Magus. Mm -hmm. So uh, these are names and uh, adjectives you can combine to, you know, uh, create spell names on the one hand. Mm -hmm. And on the other, there are, um, you know, uh, possible people you might meet, moods for to set scenes in so these are a lot of creative prompts to just uh, put down something and start a scene you can use them with solo games uh, they're specifically designed to work with mages of course mm -hmm. but uh, you could use them 
in uh, any other game, basically, where you need uh, to come up with a quick NPC yeah. or uh, the setting for, of, of a scene and so on. And the art on the back is just a very evocative illustration. This is Momete's uh, signature style, so she should probably discuss it better, but I really find it inspiring because it combines so many different elements. It has this kind of weird, surreal vibe. So uh, it's like looking at uh, Dixit cards, if you know yeah. the game. You know, they're, they're very... <laughs> they make Abstract you think of like 10 so things at once yeah 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 so so um Mimetos, what was the yeah the 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 kind of art concept behind uh, the oracle what were your ideas mm. for it a lot of it pulls from my existing drawing so i i've had the lucky chance to be able to draw over the past couple of years and i think some of the themes i usually pull up pull from our themes that you would pull from sad novels or fantasy novels. They're all very strange, very odd, um, and very different with when it comes to different illustrations. Uh, it's very difficult to say that uh, as I went out and said to have a um, art style for the Oracle cards, but they're more of a, they spark from the art style that I already have. So it's mm -hmm. basically like, um, drawing close to my heart. Beautiful. And they look absolutely gorgeous. Um, they're up on the screen if you're watching live, but there's links in the show note on the Kickstarter page if you want to have a look if you're listening to the podcast. Um, and I'm going to come back as well to the uh, question for you, Bianca, I was asking for people that haven't played any solo role-playing games before and have only been used to kind of group play, do you have any advice, um, you know, different from what Kiara already suggested? I think if you're coming from D&D, you might be surprised. Um, where is the GM? <laughs> where yeah. are the other players? How do I know how to advance the story? And doing a solo RPG is a different pace from group campaigns because a lot of it really depends on your ability to also improvise. But I think the beauty of it is that you also are the one who sets that pace. You can improvise at your own comfort level. If you want to just write a few sentences, that's perfectly fine. If you want to pour your heart out and really elaborate on the scene, that's also wonderful. And I think the thing that you should keep in mind is the freedom of that pacing. Don't feel um, don't feel pressured to rush it don't feel pressured to write as so much and you can also pull in inspiration from media your favorite TV shows your favorite books even your favorite um, walks around the city and people watching any form of uh, yeah. storytelling that you could remember they could help inform you in your writing you could think of things like hey maybe I wanted to develop kind to have similar vibes to this story that I mm -hmm. remember that I really like and you could improvise your way in the solo RPG that way and there are prompts to help you give you sparks of inspiration give you nudges towards a certain direction so i think it is a really good creative exercise to blend that with your own ideas so trust in your own ideas do it at your own pace and get inspiration from things around you Wonderful. I love that advice. That's so great. Um, I feel like you've given me a really good overview of the game and, and a bit of detail into the mechanics and and and, and how it runs. Is there anything um, that we haven't had the chance to talk about yet that you'd like to, to mention about the game uh, for either of you? Mm -hmm. 
Um, I think I'd like to mention that with the Kickstarter, people can pledge to the digital version of the game mm -hmm. and also the physical version of the book and the cards. But there are also lots of interesting rewards such as animal pins and bookmarks. And we've also mm -hmm. been really grateful to have so many stretch goals unlocked. Uh, we've yeah. unlocked cover flaps, we've unlocked oh, wow. loaded boxes, and even a whole new setting for the magazine, which Kiara will be the one to pen. So I'm yeah. really, really excited about that. So so um, we also have one final stretch goal, which is um, a few thousand years away. So really hopeful we meet it. Uh, it's mm -hmm. basically yeah. uniting the team, having them meet face-to-face -face for the first time and having me oh, wow. um, be yeah. a guest at the Modena. I believe Modena Play Yeah, Modena Play, Italy. yeah. Uh, it's one of the biggest gaming expos in Italy. And yeah, it's just basically an excuse to meet up because, of course, this is a transcontinental partnership. So mm -hmm. we have, uh, it, it's really hard to afford to meet in person. And of course, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, late night chats have been uh, the way that this project was born. So we're not unhappy mm -hmm. about them but it will really be nice. And this is more of a personal stretch goal because we've already added everything we could think of to the game uh, without yeah. making it uh, unmanageable to produce, actually. So, Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that stretch goal, the meeting in person, because it's so true. Because like, oh, so as someone who works in publishing, everybody, you get to work mm -hmm. with people from all over the world, which is fantastic, but it does mean like there's something to sit in a room together and because everyone is just pretend people that live on your computer sometimes, it feels yeah. like, you know? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a fantastic stretch goal. Well, as mentioned, uh, the link uh, is on the screen, uh, in the chat, and in the podcast show notes. Uh, so check it out and have a look. Uh, and uh, you know, like I mentioned, the Oracle deck can work with other um, solo RPGs as well. So maybe something something interesting for you there. Um, thank you so much for coming on to talk about the game and and share that with me. And thank you for coming back as well, Bianca, as a returning guest. Um, I do have uh, final questions for you both though and that's if you have any recommendations for any other tabletop RPGs and the rules are it can't be a game that you've made because we've just spent some time talking about it and it can't be D&D because this is not D&D <laughs> uh, so uh, Kira if I, start with, if I start with you do you have any games you'd like to give a shout out to? Okay, I hope this isn't cheating because I have translated this one, but I have nothing to do with its original production. So I okay. feel, uh, you know, safe <laughs> in in uh, recommending it because uh, most people won't be coming through it uh, through the Italian translation. So mm -hmm. uh, this is called Itras B. It is a Norwegian game from, I believe, 2009. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is one of the most fun games I've played that involve heavy improvisation. It's mm -hmm. uh, heavily, uh, so it's uh, slightly surreal in style. You play in a turn of the century, um, you know, nondescript city, which is actually the dream of a goddess who has left the dream, and so the dream is crumbling. So okay, reality yeah. is going weird. So mm -hmm. basically, it was the inspiration for uh, uh, Electric Bastionland, I think, and the similar, uh, you know, uh, weird urban vibes. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so the game system uses a, a deck of cards, uh, mm -hmm. not illustrated this time. Uh, they're just uh, two sets. One has uh, random surreal events, which are kind of mini games. So sometimes it's stuff that happens during the game. And sometimes it's stuff you have to do as players. So there's one where you kind of play telephone at the table. 
So one person starts with a rumor and the next one says a bigger version of that rumor and so on until <laughs> the biggest version possible becomes true and that kind of thing. So it has all these really weird mini games. And then the other set of cards is a simple uh, uh, answer to the question, uh, does my character manage to do this? And they're all like, uh, yes, but, no, and, uh, and so on. And the fun thing that is that it has a GM but the GM uh, is uh, not the one who answers this card. So all the players get narrative authority in, uh, you know, okay. everyone yeah. makes a strong impact at the table. And it is one of my favorite games, basically. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. I love that recommendation. Uh, Mamatos, do you have any recommendations? I recently bought this Zinquest game called The Details of Our Escape because it seemed mm-hmm. really wonderful yeah. to me. It also had really evocative art um, by award-winning uh, fiction writers and also illustrators. And basically you play a caravan of over 2,000 people searching for a new home. And along the way, you roll, well, you lay down domino tiles to find mm-hmm. out where it is you're um, coming from and also what kind of things you encounter along the way, whether it's challenges or whether it's doors that you have to unlock to continue. It's um, two to seven players uh, without a game master. And I really like how evocative it is. And it seemed like a really exciting game to back. Um, yeah. They're also ending quite quite soon, I think within two days. So um, yeah, it will be really wonderful to recommend it. Yes, that's a great recommendation. And for, for, for Zine Quest, that's great uh, to hear as well, because that's throughout the month of February when there's loads of great uh, different TTRPGs getting made as well. So great thing to check out in of itself. Okay, well, I think that has come to the end of our time here. So again, thank you so much for coming on to talk about the game. Congratulations on the funding. And I really hope you get that final stretch goal because I love the idea of you all being able to meet in person as a team. I think that's a really wonderful final stretch goal. Uh, so yeah, hats off to you both. Um, and to everyone who uh, watched or listened, thank you so much for coming and joining us. We'll be back next week with more games to share with you. Uh, but that's all for this week. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you for having us. Bye. Bye. Bye.